Today on Inland Journal and the Inland Journal podcast, the Washington Democratic presidential primary is still too close to call. Bernie Sanders led after the first count Tuesday night. Joe Biden holds the lead now. Biden won in Idaho. What's next for Democrats in those two states as the presidential campaign moves to the next phase? The Idaho legislature voted this week to move the northern half of the state to full-time daylight saving time when Washington and Oregon do. We'll dig into our archive and talk with a proponent of daylight saving time. We'll hear about a new survey by the city of Spokane to gauge how people think the city should move forward in adapting to climate change. And we'll celebrate the Hindu Festival of Colors with the Spokane Hindu community. But first, planning for the coronavirus. Spokane County has not had a confirmed case of COVID-19, but local officials, such as Spokane County Health Officer Bob Lutz, are resigned to the fact that may soon change. It is here. We just don't necessarily have documentation that it's here. And so until we have those documented tests, it's really sort of, you know, throwing a dart at a board and sort of guessing where it's going to hit. And so I think it's really important that providers judiciously use their clinical judgment to test. But just statistically, you know, if I have 36 states across this country currently with disease, and a short time ago I had none, you know, we're seeing this rapidly spread. The World Health Organization declared it a pandemic today. Spokane Mayor Nadine Woodward was briefed Wednesday by federal and state health officials about actions taken in other places to react to the spread of the virus. And she held her own briefing Wednesday for reporters. At the direction of the Spokane Regional Health District, we are operating under voluntary isolation and quarantine for those who are exhibiting cold or flu-like symptoms. She says before the virus gets a foothold here, people need to begin protecting themselves and their neighbors. We are urging everyone in the Spokane community to take immediate steps to practice social distancing. That includes maximizing telecommuting options, embedding social distancing into organizations by postponing non-time-sensitive meetings or conducting them virtually, and minimizing the chances of exposure to anyone with weakened or compromised immune systems. The mayor is urging people to avoid traveling to City Hall to pay utility bills or do other business. Use the online options instead. And for city employees? Avoid unnecessary travel and cancel or postpone non-essential meetings, conferences, workshops, and training sessions. Arrange for our employees to work from home or work variable hours to avoid crowding at any one workplace. It's a face to, if a face-to-face meeting with people is unavoidable, minimize the meeting time, choosing a larger meeting room, and to sit at least six feet away from each other, avoid shaking hands and hugging. The mayor said she is not yet declaring a local emergency or imposing limitations regarding public social events, such as those issued by Governor Jay Inslee regarding events in the Puget Sound area, but she says that could change at any time. At this time, we are urging organizers of large social gatherings to review their contingency plans for postponing or even canceling events of 250 or more people. Spokane Regional Health Officer Bob Lutz says local officials are considering major events on a case-by-case basis. Today, after consultation with colleagues at the State Department of Health, we recommended this weekend's Washington Middle School Basketball Championship to be held at the Spokane Convention Center be canceled due to the number of attendees who will be traveling from high-risk regions in our state. Other events 
such as this weekend's Chief Ho Chiefs hockey game at the Spokane Arena, will continue. The NCAA announced on Wednesday that the men's regional basketball tournament to be held at the Spokane Arena next Thursday and Saturday will be played, but fans won't be allowed to attend. Only players, coaches, selected family members, and other essential personnel. Fans who bought their tickets for that can get refunds through their ticket outlets. This is, and I can't say enough. This is a developing situation. We expect additional information and updates over the next couple of days. We are scheduled to interview the mayor this afternoon. We plan to produce a special Inland Journal podcast to be posted Friday morning. You can find it at the Spokane Public Radio website or subscribe to the podcast at NPR One, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Elections workers continue to count ballots for Tuesday's Democratic presidential primaries in Washington and Idaho. In Washington, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders held a very small lead after the first night of counting, but Joe Biden has since moved ahead, and now he has the edge by a percentage point or so. Biden leads by six points in Idaho's inaugural presidential primary. The primary season continues next Tuesday in Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio. In Washington, one party superdelegate from Spokane, Spokane City Councilwoman Candace Mum, says the tight race in Washington may be a precursor to an interesting summer. What's going to happen in coming weeks, Florida could be very important. Candace Mum spoke to us on election night. The populated areas are um, definitely, uh, you know, in eastern Washington going more for Biden. I was fascinated to see the early results showing uh, Sanders in um, some of the uh, outlying counties. Uh, so I'm going to be very interested in what that map is going to look like. It looks like a checkerboard to me, honestly. I think it's going to be very close in um, several of these communities. I think it'll also be interesting uh, to see the numbers of women who turn out to vote. The early numbers are showing me, because people are declaring what party they are in, I noticed that in Spokane County um, that there were definitely more female Democrats. Uh, that were claiming uh, de Democratic affiliation and uh, more so than men. So I think that is a, a very interesting story, not just in Spokane, but across the state. Uh, with the vote looking very close, um, we are now seeing that the pledged delegates, at least going in, will have to likely be split up. And that um, puts it again in question as to whether we'll have a real front runner when we go to Milwaukee. Milwaukee is the site of the Democratic National Convention. As a Democratic superdelegate, Mum will be part of Washington's delegation there. For whom she will cast her ballot may not be known for a while. I've given a seat from the uh, Democratic Municipal Officials of um, America. I'm the vice president of that organization, and we represent mayors and council members who uh, lean Democratic. And we have three seats, and so I would wait to hear from my board and my membership, which uh, comprises of uh, cities of all size across the country and every state, and uh, then we will uh, talk to each other. And I think um, we haven't made a decision if we're going to vote collectively or not. Um, we're watching what's happening, and uh, if there's a contested convention, which I don't think we've had for four decades um, the last time there was a contested convention actually was the Republicans. It was California Governor Reagan who um, was up against then-President Ford. Uh, and so um, 
it was uh, very fascinating. So uh, we'll watch that all go down. We don't commit, uh, at least from the Democratic municipal officials, until uh, we actually are probably at the convention. There will be other superdelegates that are unpledged, like uh, potentially our governor and other elected officials uh, from around the state and Congress people that will probably be there with me. And uh, we will be having lots of conversations probably before we leave for Milwaukee and in Milwaukee. Also, there's right now 163 delegates that were pledged to other Democratic candidates, and that's a big number. Um, It'll be interesting to see how those go forward, who will they be apportioned to. And with a close race at this point, uh, everything's in play. Candace Mumm is a Spokane City Council member and Democratic superdelegate. In Idaho, where Democrats are deep in the minority, the next step is to determine who will go to Milwaukee and cast the state's votes. Amanda Gill is a state committee woman for Nez Perce County, which includes Lewiston. As a party, we don't endorse anybody before the primary. Um, So I think we're just we're excited to have this part of the process be over so we can have one solid candidate that we would um, stand behind and, and move forward. This primary was a new experience for many Democrats. It was the first presidential primary after years of using a caucus system in Idaho. I think that a primary um, is more accessible for more people because we all have our normal polling places and things like that. I think that a caucus, while exciting, can be kind of messy. Um, so I, th- I, just, I feel like a primary is just a better system overall especially after we saw what happened in Iowa. So um, on the 4th of April, we'll still be doing some sort of a caucus. It's just not going to be as big as like a normal, like filling up a whole gym with all of us. That meeting will focus on choosing delegates for the upcoming state and national conventions. After that, Gill says the focus will shift to campaign mode. Here in Lewiston, um, uh, we, our goal will be to get as much information out to voters as we can. Um, give people the tools to be able to canvas or make phone calls or do things on behalf of their candidate. Um, and then also as we move forward into our state primary, um, bringing in more of our down ticket um, candidates as well. Um, Idaho as a whole, I mean, that is, we'll be doing that at a much larger scale. Um, Nespers County is um, probably one of the least democratic. Well, I mean, it's a very red state as it is. Um, but we don't really, we won't have as much work to do here locally as maybe we will statewide. Our goal as a party is to unite behind our um, candidate opposing Donald Trump, because that's the real goal here is to just take um, the presidency back, because the real, um, the real issue is with who, who is in the White House right now. Amanda Gill is a Democratic Party leader in Lewiston, Idaho. If or when Washington and Oregon move to full-time daylight saving time, parts of Idaho may change right along with them. The Idaho House on Tuesday voted to keep the northernmost 10 counties of the gem state that now operate in Pacific time consistent with the neighboring states. Moscow Republican Representative Bill Gosling is one of the co-sponsors. Think about the challenges our cities, schools, and businesses will face when we have a one-hour time difference between as little as 5 to 30 miles. For example, Schweitzer Engineering, 1,000 of the 3,200 employees cross Washington and Idaho border daily going to and from work. They also are 
challenged by synchronizing their production facilities in Lewiston and in Pullman. The House approved the bill by a 68 to 1 vote. That followed a unanimous vote by the Senate. The Washington and Oregon legislatures last year approved legislation to move to permanent full-time daylight saving time, but that change cannot take place without congressional approval. University of Washington law professor Steve Calandrillo has been promoting the idea for a decade or more. We talked with him last March as the Washington legislature prepared to pass its own bill. Simply put, darkness kills. And darkness is far more deadly in the evening hours than it is in the morning hours. Uh, The evening rush hour has roughly twice as many fatalities as the morning rush hour does, uh, mostly because there's more drivers on the road. Everybody's awake and moving around. Uh, There's children enjoying uh, outdoor unsupervised play. There's more alcohol in drivers' bloodstream. uh, And you have a dramatic spike in fatal vehicle crashes, both vehicle-on-vehicle and vehicle-on-pedestrian crashes in the evening hours once the sun goes down. And what daylight saving time is about is about where does sunlight matter more? Does it matter more in the morning at 6.30 in the morning, or does it matter more in the evening, let's say at 5.30 p.m.? And it matters more in the evening. Uh, The morning rush hour is, as I said, half as deadly as the evening rush hour is. It tends to be more regimented and more predictable. And so the research that I've seen on traffic fatalities from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, uh, from Rutgers researchers Cote and Markowitz, and from Sullivan and Flanagan, indicate that we could save between 300 to 400 lives per year by moving to permanent daylight saving time. Again, having more sunlight in the evening hours helps prevent some of those accidents. Uh, Now, obviously, you're trading that off with the morning hours, uh, but you don't increase the danger as much in the morning as much as you reduce the danger in the evening. So that, in my opinion, is the best reason for daylight saving time, is saving lives on the road. The second best reason for daylight saving time is that crime would decrease uh, because darkness is also a friend of crime. Uh, Criminals like to do their work in darkness, and they like to do their work in evening darkness. Uh, They don't tend to work in morning darkness before sunrise. The crime rates are extremely low at 5 o'clock in the morning, even though it's still dark outside. But when you look at 5 o'clock in the evening, 6 o'clock in the evening, and all through the evening hours, um, again, you know, that's where the crime rates start to increase. And so the theory behind daylight savings time reducing crime is you're moving one extra hour of sunlight into the evening portion of the day, taking away an hour from criminals' workday. And so as I like to say, you know, whatever reason that criminals are late to bed and late to rise, we should take advantage of it uh, by reducing their workday by one hour. And uh, I saw a British meta study when I wrote my paper on daylight saving time 10 years ago that estimated that improved street lighting and improved sunlight would have the potential to reduce uh, crime by 20%, especially juvenile crime that peaks in the after school hours. So you get to the question of, and I know that I asked Marcus Riccelli this question, uh, the question of, do you care if it's daylight savings time or standard time? And he said, yeah, I prefer daylight savings time. And you're the same way? Yes, we care tremendously about whether it's permit standard time versus permit daylight saving time. Now, keep in mind, the the term standard time is a little misleading because eight months of the year we're on daylight saving time. So, the, the, the normal is actually daylight saving time. It's only in the four months of winter that we move to standard time. And it matters a lot whether we have permanent standard or permanent daylight saving time because, again, it, it, it's whether you want more sunlight in the morning hours or you want it in the evening hours. Now, the critics of daylight saving time will say that the clock switch itself is harmful, right? The switch in spring when you lose an hour of sleep, also even the switch in the fall when you gain an extra hour of sleep because it messes up sleep cycles. There's lots of data now that show that there's increased health risks when you do that. 
that. In fact, heart attacks spiked 24% in the week following the spring clock change. Uh, but the solution is not permanent standard time. Because if you move to permanent standard time, then you have an extra hour of evening darkness all year round. And that would have the effect of, of killing many more motorists and pedestrians on the road and also increasing crime, even though obviously it would save the increased heart attack risk in the week following the March spring forward. Steve Calandrillo is a supporter of moving permanently to daylight saving time. He's a professor of law at the University of Washington. We spoke with him last March. The Idaho daylight saving time bill now goes to Governor Brad Little for his consideration. The City of Spokane Sustainability Action Subcommittee has a little survey it would like city residents to fill out. The subcommittee is a study group formed by the city council to explore how the city can adjust to the effects of climate change. Kara Odegaard is the council's sustainability research analyst. She says the 14-question survey asks about people's knowledge and feelings about climate change. What it might mean for them if our temperatures uh, change or increase uh, in the Spokane region um, and to really get a sense for if they find... Um, uh, any of the other climate impacts like smoke from wildfires might um, impact their way of life here in Spokane. The subcommittee has 10 work groups exploring issues from transportation to the built environment. Council President Brian Beggs says the city will use the ideas generated by the citizens group as it updates the city's sustainability plan, which was adopted in 2009. We know from the science that we're going to have less snowpack and the river is going to run out of water quicker. We're going to have more wildfires. And then how does that impact us? And then what can we do as a city to um, ameliorate that to the degree that we can do that and also help the entire uh, state and nation on that as well? Spokane residents can fill out the survey between now and March 20th. The subcommittee hopes to have results for the city council by sometime in April. Members of Spokane's Hindu Temple and Cultural Center shared one of Hinduism's major celebrations on Sunday at Spokane's Faith and Values Interfaith Center. The Festival of Colors has a long religious history, but it also has morphed into something more contemporary. The Hindus call this celebration holy. Its roots are based in part on a good versus evil mythological story about a tyrannical king and his virtuous son. So um, we demonstrated a play today about the story of Holika and Prahlad and King Hiranyakashipu and all. Nishant Puri is the president of the Hindu Temple and Cultural Center. The play is performed by some of the temple's young members. When the king assumed his throne, he became quite impossible. He thought he was immortal and tried to crush all dissent. His son Prahlad chose not to support his father, and so the king moved to have his son killed. But the Hindu deity, Lord Vishnu, protected Prahlad, and the son eventually prevailed. Sunday celebration also featured a few traditional dances, including an energetic number performed by six women wearing brightly colored costumes. I think the, the, the thing with the Indian civilization is that the religion and culture is so intermixed now that it's hard to separate out and say, oh, this is an exclusively religious or a cultural thing. 
Just as Christmas and Easter have become commercial as well as spiritual holidays in the U.S., Puri says Holi has become more than a religious celebration in India and the other places where Hindus practice it. It's more about being merry and enjoying and with the weather changing, getting out in the open and celebrating with colors with each other, like all the flowers are blooming, so you're throwing colors on each other and make it fun. In fact, this part of Holi is quite a messy celebration. In India, Puri says people throw balloons or shoot squirt guns with colored water at each other. But it's much warmer in India this time of year, so Spokane's celebration was limited to dry paint. Grab some dry colors and put it on each other's face or like throw it up in the air or in, on each other's clothes. And it's just fun. The Holi Festival is new to Spokane, as is the Hindu Temple and Cultural Center. But Spokane has been home to a few Hindu families since at least the early 1980s. Aruna Bhutta says those families began meeting to preserve and practice their traditions. We started our journey together, meeting each month, fourth Saturday of the month, meeting at each other's home and having prayer group. And, uh, and that made a difference in our children's lives. But then the group got bigger and bigger, and it was hard for us to continue that at each other's home. And here we are at this interfaith center. Welcome to all of you, and let's continue the tradition. Nishant Puri says the Hindu Temple and Cultural Center has only recently earned nonprofit status. It hopes to become a place where members of the local Hindu community can meet and support each other. That's it for this week's Inland Journal. The program airs every Thursday on Spokane Public Radio. The podcast is available anytime at spokanepublicradio.org. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, NPR One, and Google Play. We close today with music from Portland guitarist Terry Robb, who's playing up in Newport and Sandpoint this weekend. On Tuesday night, he stopped by our studio to jam with our Saturday evening blues host, Brother Music. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us. I'm Doug Nadvorek. Right.